from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Perspective is a radio program presenting biographical interviews of people who have chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Manura Sparrow. Manura is a musician who actually goes by two names, Faraday and Manura Sparrow. Under her name Faraday, she has made two CDs, Seasons of Loving and Symphony of Chemistry. Under her name Manura Sparrow, She'll be releasing a new CD called Morning to Midnight in September. I started the interview by asking Manira where she grew up and what was it like growing up there. Well, you're calling me all the way from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. Um, I was thinking about, you know, where you are and, and, you know, about that question. And I was thinking, well, I live in a very, very cold place. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at Vancouver and Toronto, I live basically in the middle of that. So it looks like, you know, the prairies, but um, about eight months a year, we have a dreadfully long winter, and it's a lot of snow, and um, it gets up to minus 40 and minus 50 degrees Celsius, which I think is roughly the same Fahrenheit, so it's a pretty painfully cold place where we have to plug in our vehicles and wear varieties of layers of clothing, and you can't really walk many places because it's quite painful and you lose the feeling in your legs and your fingers and people die. And so <laughs> it makes for a very interesting landscape. There's a lot of artists who live um, where I live because you're cooped up for eight months of the year and you become very introspective and creative in your time. And I am the daughter of a musician and a teacher. So in my home, my father was already playing guitar, practicing with his bands, and, you know, performing. And so I grew up in that environment, and just very young, that seemed like the right environment for me. What was religious life like growing up? Well, my parents were Baha'is. We had children classes that I'd go to. So it was a very open religious life, but I wouldn't say that we were particularly... You know, it wasn't like we were constantly going to Baha'i activities, you know, like people who are constantly going to church. It was just kind of like a daily thing. It was part of my identity. I always knew that, you know, I had a slightly different view than other people, but where I live is also not a very religious place, so I didn't really know many kids with particularly different beliefs than I did. It just wasn't something we talked about. And what were your interests growing up? Uh, I guess it would be music, right? Yeah, it was, you know, primarily music growing up. I spent a lot of time alone. I mean, I was different. I was, I mean, I guess I had this funny little religion, and uh, my parents were artists. And I mean, while this place has a lot of artists in it, it's primarily a farming farming background community, so it is still very conservative. So, you know, I was always just kind of a funny kid, and so I didn't have many friends, and so I spent a lot of time alone and a lot of time... I would pretend to sing uh, in, like, fields and stuff like that and pretend I was entertaining audiences (laughs) 
from a very young age. So I had a very vivid imagination, and I always played by myself. And that's how I spend most of my youth. And did you play out? Did you perform? Uh, I didn't start performing until I was uh, about 14 or 15. I was a really shy, um, and I still am a very shy person, and so I wasn't quite ready to... uh, get on stage and when I was in a, as a teenager I formed like a Celtic band and I started performing more and had to overcome stage fright and things like that so, but when did you write your first song uh I think I wrote my first song when I was about 12 yeah you know, with my father being a musician too you know me and a friend of mine you know we wrote some sort of song we played it on my little keyboard and then my dad could record it for us and yeah, we were very pleased with ourselves. <laughs> Do you remember what the name of that song was? I think it was called The Ace of Spades. <laughs> <laughs> was it just an instrumental song, or was it? did it have lyrics? Oh, it had lyrics. I, I don't know what they were. I think it was 12-year-old kind of <laughs> love song. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what did you do after high school? I did quite a bit of traveling. I went to Guyana and was involved in a high service project where I did some arts and then I came back home and I decided I wanted to do some traveling but some traveling just for myself so I went and I spent about a year in Australia traveling around by myself which now when I look back at it I I'm really quite surprised that I would just go to the other side of the world I didn't have a phone number of anybody I knew I hadn't even booked a hotel for the night over I did have medical insurance which was a good idea yeah. But I just kind of went on an adventure. My, both of my parents traveled when they were younger, so that was, you know, instead of a university education, um, it was expected that I would go traveling. <laughs> I mean, that's what I wanted to do. And so I did that, and that was a really great experience for me just to, well, one, to be in a warmer climate <laughs> for, for 12 months, to look at the landscape of these cities in Australia like Sydney and think to myself, wow. It looks like this all year round because, you know, here, you know, it's luscious green right now, and then in three months it's going to be orange and purple, and then, in then for eight months it's going to be completely white, and then it'll be, and then it'll be, browns again, and then I'll be back to this luscious green that it is right now. Yeah, I spent a year doing that, and then I came home and I started on my first record, and started working on that and developing the funds and writing the songs and recording it and doing that. All right, before we get into your first CD, can you tell me about your time in Guyana and the kind of service project that you did? When I went there, I was actually 18, and so um, when I went there, they actually happened to have some political upheaval. So I had originally gone there for three months, but when I got there, I was really quite scared because I was 18, (laughs) and they were um, having political upheaval, so there was like lots of rioting. And so I actually ended up coming back early because I couldn't overcome my fear, and I just didn't know what to do about it. And so we did some, like, literacy, and I did some door-to-door work trying to find Baha'is in these small communities that were kind of off the map. So it was really interesting that way. And uh, I developed a great love for Bollywood music in Guyana because the population is, I think it's like 75% East Indian background, like of or maybe it's 50 or something. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a really strong Bollywood culture there, and so I really developed a love of that kind of music. So 
so but I came home early and then yeah, came out, went to the side to go do some traveling for myself. So tell me about your first CD. Um, I recorded it here in Saskatoon, and uh, I decided to do an album that would be really guitar and vocals, very stripped down. I'm a big fan of an artist named Patty Griffin. That was kind of how she recorded her first big album, was was actually just mainly guitar and vocals, and I was just such a big fan of that um, album, I decided to do the same thing. It also makes for a, a less expensive album, so that's great. It was a lot of hard work, and I was young, and... In the music industry these days, it's it's really changing, and it and it was like that even eight years ago. And there's a lot of advice for artists about what to do and how to make it in the music industry. And I found like a, that I was listening to all this advice and doing it and being extremely unhappy. I think that's generally a lesson the young people learn, right? When you listen to everybody but yourself, you find yourself on a path that's not quite you. And so after I released the album and I t- did some live shows and I did some touring and I did some promotion. I felt very unhappy and uh, I decided to take a break from music, which was a, a really big decision because, you know, as I've said, I grew up in a musical household. Basically, my only interest growing up was music. That was my only goal. And suddenly I felt like maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I can't do this. Maybe this isn't the right lifestyle. And so I spent four years kind of um soul-searching, trying to figure out, you know, what do I like other than music? You know, who are my friends if they aren't musicians? Um, what kind of movies do I like? What kind of books do I like? Because I was just rather obsessive. So I took a four-year break. I think it was a very good experience. Now I, as a, as a, you know, obviously I have returned to music. I have much more of a balanced perspective. There's definitely lots of advice out there about how to make it, but I spent a lot of time listening to myself about what works for me and what makes me happy. You know, there's there's a lot of, just as there's many paths to God, there's many paths <laughs> to success uh, as an artist. At least I hope so. I'm not sure if I've reached success, but there's many measurements of success. One is financial and the other one is personal happiness. What was it about your first CD and the playing out after the first CD that just wasn't making you happy? I think it was pressure. First of all, I think that, you know, this had been something I'd been building up to my whole life and this pressure that of being where I live to, I'm very isolated. And so I do not have the industry support that maybe other artists do. Like, I don't have, there's not really like a population with which to draw from for a manager or a booking agent or a record label that maybe if I lived in a larger center, I would have access to. So there's that pressure of trying to make it. But, you know, being 20, when I was releasing that first album, I had a a smaller skill set and a smaller level, I mean, a a lower level of confidence, you know, or or maybe a higher one because I was naive, I'm not sure. So I think that that was part of it. And then I think that there is definitely um, a pressure in the industry, you know, to perform a lot in bars which, you know, I've gone on to do it. But at that time, I was really uncomfortable with that. Like, I don't, I'm somebody, I have chosen a lifestyle of not drinking. I saw growing up with my father, he didn't drink, obviously, because he was a Baha'i, but many of his, the bands that he was in had a lot of musicians who were heavy drinkers, and basically, they were our alcoholics. And I saw how this one addiction was always 
the reason why they weren't successful. Like there were, there were many. There was a band that my father was in that could have been exceptionally successful, but whenever they got to a certain level of success, their alcoholism took over again. So anyway, so these pressures to play in bars and with the kind of music I do, that doesn't quite fit. You know, and there's a pressure to sell and be very. Um, egocentric, you know, I mean, even now, you know, having your Facebook and your Twitter and constantly updating about these not so very much, you know, I'm eating soup, (laughs) look how fascinating I am, those kinds of things, you know, you have to, um, you have to kind of take a step back and think, you know, there's a lot of advice going on, but who am I and, and how do I want to express that? You know, I had to think to myself, well, my music doesn't really fit in bars. I don't really play party music. And then just trying to, it took a long time to figure out, to confidently believe that I could pursue a path of music that was congruent with uh, either my lifestyle choices or who I was as a person. So what was the name of your first CD? Called Seasons of Loving. And is there a selection on there that you would like to play in particular? Sure, yeah, I'll play the title track from Seasons of Loving. Why don't you give me a little bit of background on that particular song? Sure. It sounds like I'm talking about a man, but really I'm talking about the place I live. I live in a place that can be, well, you you become extremely attached to the movements of the weather because it is so extreme. That can be very, it can take a real toll on your heart, you know, when you don't really see the sun for very many hours a day. Uh, you know, for many months at a time, it's really hard on your heart, and it's very extreme. And so the song is about living in a place like that, but having a difficulty in leaving because of your roots. I mean, that's something I continue to struggle with, is that I, you know, I have a, an incredible family and, you know, incredible friends and a network of people, and while this, the weather is this extremely harsh and difficult place, you have a community around you in these roots that make you stay. And it's about, that's, this is what Seasons of Loving is about. Well, I'm a flower, I'm a rose. But in the summer, he can make it snow. And I need sunshine to grow. That's how I know There'll be no Seasons of loving And there are no Reasons to stay Oh, I only stick around Cause of these roots in the ground And there are no Seasons of loving And late at night These arms are cold My hands are again From the seeds I have sown And nothing's coming up Nothing's coming up gold Though I've always known There'll be no seasons of loving And there are no reasons to stay 
in the ground and there are no seasons of loving but I don't mind the weather cause at least it's not the desert anymore and all of my Land is flooding Spring is crying Winter tears And I can tell From the heat That there's enough For many legs So I'll be a lily On his water If that's what it takes Cause I'm a flower I'm a rose In the summer He can make it snow And I Need sunshine to grow And that's how I know So you took a four year was it a four-year hi- hiatus? Yeah, I did. And then what happened after that? Well, I went, uh, I went on another Baha'i service project. I went to Africa. I went to Uganda, and we had a little trip to Rwanda and the Congo. This time it was you know, very much more arts-based. I happened to go down there with five other Canadians who were musical, and so we would write songs together and perform them. Uganda as many African cultures are, are very responsive to music. and So there was lots of music and there was lots of dancing. And at that time I realized that, um, that all roads lead me back to being a musician. I felt like I lived my life on the surface layers, that I couldn't really delve deeply into my emotions without music. And I felt like my life was very shallow. And so it was really exciting to be in Africa and then to be playing music with these people and... I was trying to write songs before I went there, but of course I was very much out of practice, and so many of the songs weren't very good, and my guitar playing wasn't very good either. And so going away to Africa and playing with these people was great, and then and then I wrote one of the first good songs I wrote while I was there, and I was like, oh, I can do this again. Okay, I'll be okay. And so that song is actually on this next the next record I wrote, which was called symphony of chemistry. It just felt confirmed. You know, I spent a lot of time, in those four years, I also spent a lot of time thinking about what was the meaning of being a musician. I needed to feel like what I was doing was worthwhile, you know, had a meaning in society. You know, why wouldn't I just go work in a soup kitchen? Is You know, isn't that more meaningful than being a musician? And, uh, you know, of course, being in Africa, too, with this great love of music and people's responses and an uninhibited response to music. I think that, I think we all naturally respond to music, but uh, certainly in my culture, in Canada, you know, it's a very inhibited response to music. We all sit there quietly and we just like, oh yes, that was very nice, you know. Whereas in Africa, they get up and they dance and it's clear that they are just soaking it all in. And that really helped my confidence in believing that this was actually a worthwhile endeavor. Then I began the process of gathering up the funds, writing the songs, recording the album, 
for the next one and finding out what's going in the industry then. Yeah. And I should mention that, um, like, my real name is Faraday, and that's the, my original work is actually re- released under that name. And then um, my personal work is released, or my Baha'i-inspired work is released under the name Manira Sparrow. How did you come up with the name Manira Sparrow? Well, my middle name is Manira, so I thought that that would be a good idea. And then in the writings, there's always many references to the Nightingale of Paradise, you know, singing these beautiful songs. And I was like, ah, maybe I'll go with Manira Nightingale. And then I realized that the Nightingale was actually referring to Baha'u'llah. And so I thought I would choose a lesser bird that had a sweet song. So that's why I chose Manira Sparrow. So what was the name of the song that you wrote in Africa that you put on the second CD? It's called My King, My Beloved. Can you give us a little background on the song and then we'll play it? Yeah, sure. Well, at the time, you know, I was in a very serious relationship with uh, Jehovah's Witness. I was, of course, in Africa for three months and I greatly missed him. And so I wrote this song about, you know, my love for him. But being that it was young love, it didn't work out. And I've come to really see that song really, now I understand it as actually a song about how I always knew I wanted to be a musician and that this is the right path for me and that this is my my calling in this life. And really, so it's more of a love song for music. I think that that was always the deeper meaning behind that song. I was right about you. Everything I thought at first turned out to be true And all the signs opened doors and confirmed my suspicions more and more So my king, my beloved, my chorus line My symphony of chemistry, my perfect rhyme My love, my laughter, my diamond mind My horrible, my rapture, my when, where and why So my king, my beloved, my chorus line My symphony of chemistry, my perfect rhyme My love, my laughter, my diamond mind My horrible, my rapture, my when, where, and why When I'm needing you, I'm right there and When I'm drowning, you
Do you want to choose another song from the uh, from the second CD, Symphony of Chemistry? Yeah, sure. It's called Heart of a Man. I thought we'd play Heart of a Man because, you know, I've spent so much time talking about the weather here, and this is another song about the weather. It's about, once again, it's about relating it to a man, but about, you know, there's something that we say here. You always catch yourself saying, goodness, wow, you just never get used to this weather. So that's one of the lines in the chorus is that you never get used to this, like with it being so cold that icicles form on your eyelashes and you lose feelings in your legs and your fingers. It doesn't matter if you've lived here one year or 50 years. It never becomes like a hospitable landscape. And so this is about this song that, that it's, well, it says, this harsh land is like the heart of a man. You never get used to it, which, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was kind of a burning song at that time. <laughs> But it's about that landscape and the issues of that. I come from a land of ice and snow Eight months of the year nothing To white city so clean, polar diamonds as far as you can see. Take a deep breath. Land. 
It's like the heart of a man You never get used to it No, you never get used to it So the third CD is this one that's now under Manura Sparrow? Yep. Okay. So what was the transition that had you go from being the performer Faraday to doing this CD under Munira Sparrow? Um, well, I was always something in the background of my mind, you know, when I was in Africa with performing with those other musicians. I wrote a couple of Baha'i songs. And so... And it always seemed clear that that would be something I should do, but at some other, I just wasn't ready for it. This last October, I did a showcase at the Western Canadian Music Awards, you know, which features some of the up-and-coming Western Canadian artists. I was so honored to be there, but I also just felt like there's some difficulty I have with the industry where it is right now. There's a lots of, you know, it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll still, just like it was in the 60s, and, and lots of alcohol, and I just felt like I needed to do something that I felt was sacred. I felt that I believe that music has the power to change the world, and I believe that it's really conducive to healing and bringing people together, and I don't always see enough of that actually in my industry. Like, the people in the industry are beautiful, but sometimes when they come together for an industry conference, it's very much about... Yeah, getting what you can out of other people and not giving. And so I came away just thinking that I needed something, I needed to put an album together that was really pure, that was really, really sacred. You know, my, my personal music runs a spectrum of talking about, you know, all sorts of the human condition, and that can involve sexual attraction and, you know, my emo- emotional depression and the weather. And, and that just, you know, I think that as an artist, you have to explore all those things. But I just came to the point where I realized that for myself, I needed to put something out there that I felt was really beautiful and very pure and very sacred, almost as a response to a lot of, you know, the other spectrum of the music that's out there, which is a lot of egotism and, you know, lots of swearing. And, you know, some of the stuff is really catchy and fun, but there's not that much on the other side of the spectrum. (laughs) you know, in the pendulum swing of balancing things out. And so, you know, that was in October. And sometimes when I commit to doing something, it happens very fast. I started contacting producers that I knew, and I started saying a lot of prayers. I mean, I had about five songs written, or maybe four songs, and so I started writing songs really quite aggressively so that I had songs to put on this record, 
and I found a uh, producer out in Australia called Louis Shelton. And he played with artists like Seals and Crofts, and he's actually the guitar player for, you know, he played some of the guitar tracks on The Monkees, Lionel Richie, John Lennon. Like, he's really played with the greats, so it was such an honor, actually. I did not think he would have the time for me, but he did, and we actually were able to coordinate our schedules for February to go out there and record it, which was so fantastic for me since it's ridiculously cold here in February. So I was like, ooh, I'm going back to Australia for a month. Going to get some sun. <laughs> so I went out there in February and I started recording this record with him. And you know, he has obviously such experience with working with these greats. And he's recorded many Baha'i albums Previously as well, you know, Seals and Crofts and another artist named Shadi Tului Wallace out in Australia. So he had a really good ear and he understood my perspective. I wanted to, I really wanted to find a producer that when you're working with the Baha'i writings, you can't just switch out words or make up new words like you would with your own original material. Because, you know, essentially it's like if I had access to the words of Jesus, I wouldn't just want to like, oh, edit them. So I wanted somebody who understood that, and I wanted somebody who would come into the studio with the knowledge that they were working on something sacred. You know, I didn't want somebody coming in hungover or somebody who was, like, going to be severely negative. And so I was really excited to find Louis, that somebody who shared an understanding of the sacredness and the preciousness of what we were dealing with, but who also had this incredible skill and talent. So I recorded it out in February, and got all the um, artwork together with an artist out in Toronto, and now I'm just waiting to get it all ready to be released in September. And what's the name of the CD? It's called Morning to Midnight. And is there a cut you'd like to play? Why don't I play the morning prayer? Since it's morning to midnight, we'll play the morning prayer. Can you give a little background on the, on the morning prayer? Sure. I actually happened to write that song out in Toronto during a Baha'i Arts Week with a fellow named Michael Ferguson. It just kind of naturally came about. And this is a prayer that Baha'is can say in the morning. Also on the album is like a midnight prayer, and that's why I chose to name it Morning to Midnight. shelter oh my god and it becometh him that seeketh that shelter to abide within the sanctuary of the protection and the stronghold of thy
Is there another cut you'd like to play? Sure. Why don't we play A Mighty Sea? That song is a, is a quote from Abdu'l-Baha talking about what a beautiful day it will be when we all come together and that uh, running bro- brooks, single drops, come together to form a mighty sea. And I wrote this during a time of, right before I'd gone away for that arts weekend in Toronto, I also wrote that song during then. I uh, had just gone through a a really painful experience and I was really struggling and I decided to let go of my pain and really just focus on writing a song that I felt would be good for, that would be sacred and pure and an offering to people. And so it had a lot of meaning to me because that song just, once I made that decision to let go and and let God, I guess, in that way and just really write a song and, and have something to offer, song just flowed, and I think it has beautiful meaning in where we are in humanity, you know, about how we're working towards coming together. This is a song about that, and I hope it's something everybody can uh, relate to, because I think it's a desire of every human heart to be united and not have a life full of conflict and strife and war. Whensoever holy souls drawing on the powers of heaven shall arise with such qualities of the spirit and march in unison rank on rank every one of those souls Search 
raging waves of that mighty ocean will be even as the battalions of the concourse on high and what a blessing that will be when I shall come together people who want to find out more about your music, can they go somewhere on the web? For sure. If they are interested in my original music, they can go to faraday.ca, so that's F-A-R-I-D-E-H dot C-A. And if they're really interested in the Baha'i-inspired music, they can go to manirasparrow.com, which is M-U-N-I-R-I-H Sparrow P-A-R-R-O-W dot com. And I'm on Facebook and Twitter. And, uh, the Faraday stuff is on iTunes, and the Manira Sparrow stuff will be on iTunes very soon. I think some, I got my original stuff on Last FM. you know. I try and be everywhere on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the release date for the CD? It's going to be September 15th, I believe. So what's next for you, Manira? I formed a uh, an all-girl vocal group and we called Rosie and the Riveters, and we sing like southern gospel music because I just love the gospel that comes out of the southern states. Um, and so we've got a lot, of, a lot of shows, and it's really pushing me because, you know, as a solo artist, I felt like I wasn't growing because I'm not collaborating that often. And so I'm definitely being pushed by these other ladies. They're fantastic musicians. And then um, I'm working on putting together another Faraday album. I've got a couple cuts that I'm really excited about, and so just keep on working, keep on releasing new records, and 
you know, do some more touring up in Canada and hopefully come down to the States in February. That'd be great. If people want to hear you, do you post your events on the Faraday site? Yeah, on Faraday, absolutely. And yeah, on my Facebook account too. And I do a lot of house concerts, so like concerts in people's homes. So if people love me so much, they want me to come play to their home and their 30 friends. I love doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Often I'll ask a question to those who have grown up as Baha'is. In the Baha'i faith, there's a principle called independent investigation of truth. We're not to necessarily follow the traditions of our parents, but to investigate truth for ourselves. Was there a point in your life where you realized that you own the Baha'i faith for yourself rather than it being the religion of your parents? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You choose to become a Baha'i at 15, and um, I didn't want to become a Baha'i at 15. I wanted to investigate myself. I wanted to be free. You know, as a 15, I also wanted to be rebellious or whatever. And I spent a lot of time researching other things. I was kind of a fruitcake, so I was into things like Wicca, studied a little bit of Christianity and a little bit of Buddhism. And I was also kind of running as in a bad crowd, so I was also enjoying partying when I was 17. And, And then I realized... Somebody had said something like, well, none of that really matters. You know, Bahá'u'lláh is the one that really matters. I realized that, like, I believed that we are all one. I believe that religion is all from the same source. And I believe that Bahá'u'lláh is the manifestation for today. And so I was just like, oh, well, I'm going to leave those childish things behind and really commit to this lifestyle. And I think that was one level of, making that decision for myself. I I certainly didn't have pressure from my parents. You know, they really respected that, that search for meaning and that search for truth and that they knew I had to arrive at this decision by myself. And then, you know, when I went to Africa, which was, you know, quite a few years later, I think it was was 2007, so it was 24, I think I had, like, another level of awakening when I really, really deeply grasped the preciousness of the decision I made Essentially, you know, I made a decision to become a Baha'i and what would be similar to the decision to become a Christian in the early years of Christianity. That hadn't really occurred to me yet, and I really just looked around myself and thought, wow, this is a big, this, I was really honored, was quite a big decision. (laughs) So I feel like that awakening came, you know, essentially eight years apart. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Manira, thank you so much for sharing your music and your life with us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Warren. It was a real pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Manira Sparrow. Manira is a musician who actually goes by two names, Faraday and Manira Sparrow. Under her name Faraday, she has made two CDs, Seasons of Loving and Symphony of Chemistry. For these two CDs, you can go to her website, faraday.ca. Under her name, Manira Sparrow, she'll be releasing a new CD called Morning to Midnight. For information on that CD, you can go to manirasparrow.com. I'll close out the program with more of Manira's music. For a copy of this and other interviews and links to Manira's music, you can go to the website, www.abahaiperspective.com. 
For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. They brushed my hair a hundred times And they immersed my hands in diamonds And they called me queen of the tide And they sang, hey, mama, 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 mama They sang, hey, mama, 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 mama they sang, hey, mama, 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 hey, mama, 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 hey, mama, 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 mama. Well, I felt the moon pull on my blood, and I ebbed and flowed in tandem. And my voice, it sang like the rain, and the sound became a flood. And it sang, hey, mama, 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 mama. It sang, hey, mama, 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 mama. It sang, hey, mama, 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 hey, mama, 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 hey, mama, 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 mama. Well, I felt the waves move left to right, and the water became my hips and thighs, and the crown of my head. Of tiny droplets Pronounce me queen of the tide And I reigned 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 And when they brought me back to shore We sang once more We sang hey mama 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 we sang, hey, mama, 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 mama. We sang, hey, mama, 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 hey, mama, 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 hey, mama, 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 mama. We sang, hey, mama, 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 mama. We sang, hey, mama, 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 mama. We sang, hey, mama, 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 hey, mama, 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 hey, mama, 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 mama. I know that I can't forget the three little words that he just said Scaring me half to death and I had to back away And I could have said that I loved him and it wouldn't have been a liar or a fib But he would have only made me unhappy in the end For I could see what lay before me Three children and a man who ignored me He'd stay out late, pursue the drink and I'd be more alone than if I was by myself So I made the decision To keep my distance Though I never really had a choice I wanted more from life Something he just could not provide me with Oh, and I thought I could make it And my heart would not be breaking If I left But I found I was mistaken
mistaken if I thought I could forget him what we had For I have never known something, no, I have never known something, no, I have never known something so blessed And I write him letters and I try to call But I don't know if he gets them and he's never at home Still I doubt that he'd understand why I chose the road I did in leaving And my heart would not be breaking if I left But I found I was mistaken If I thought I could forget him What we had For I have never known something No, I have never known something No, I have never known something So blessed And I made the decision Keep my distance Though I never really had a choice I wanted more from life Something he just could not provide me with Oh, and I thought I could make it And my heart would not be breaking if I left But I found I was mistaken If I thought I could forget him what we had For I have never known something No, I have never known something No, I have never known something so blessed Oh my Lord, oh my Lord This is a lamp Ignited in the tree of thy mercy Oh my Lord, oh my Lord Increase his enkindlement Heat and flame Heat and flame With the fire which is kindled in the sun of thy manifestation.
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.